0: so this thought just went through my mind I don't usually make this kind of request at the beginning of a talk if we have anybody in here who's good at carpentry and who could build us a little stand for papers in the front see me afterwards and I will be eternally grateful to you (laughs) balancing papers on the bell (laughs) you know it's okay, it works but So every time when we practice together, when you come to an evening like tonight or come Tuesday noon or or last night at the beginner's class, when we get to the end of the evening, there's, you know, we do the the loving-kindness practice and then at the very end of the loving-kindness practice we do this interesting thing where we offer the merit of our practice. So we talk about how there's something that you get from your practice, this merit thing. The word in Pali is Punya, P U N N A, and has a little each of the ends has a little squiggle over it. Um and you know, we offer it, We the suggestion is that you take it in for yourself. It's not that you don't get it, but that, that actually then you give it away for all beings. And in fact, even those of you who are on various committees or the board or whatever, know that at the end of our meetings, we also... There's a lot of merit in meetings, let me tell you. And so we also offer the merit from the meetings for the benefit of all beings it's actually one of the things I really love about all the Buddhist meetings that I go to there's some sense of putting it in a bigger picture and if you go to a retreat at the end of the retreat all of the merit of the retreat time is offered so this is sort of an interesting practice and sometimes people just kind of do it and don't think too much about it but sometimes there's also some questions like what are we doing? You know, what is this merit stuff? You know, and there's some sense, like, am I getting points? You know, like if you sit for 45 minutes, you get 45 points of merit, but if you only sit for 20, you only get 20 points, or, or, you know, that... And if you get enough points, then what happens? You know, do you get a better lifetime next time? You know, that's one of the thoughts, actually, sometimes. Or you know, just even an easier heart, which is probably a little more likely. And in Asia, in the Buddhist community there, there's a lot of stress on making merit, on doing different practices in order to to get more merit. And so money is offered to monks and to monasteries, and food is offered, and people build temples, and Um, they sponsor books that's one of the things there's a lot of books that come out of the monasteries that are free actually and how they're free is that somebody has sponsored them and that's considered to be a great act of building merit and and even simple things like living your life in a way that's wise and careful and non-harming so it's not that we don't do those things I mean we all do those things and, and so we all know that there's some way and we, that we benefit, and then we give it away. And so that's kind of interesting. How is it that you give it away? But the, the notion is, this is a very wonderful Buddhist banking notion actually, <laughs> is that by giving it away, you get more. We should tell Obama this, don't you think? you know there might be something he can use in his economic plan but, that that... Um, there's if you share the benefit of your practice, if you give it to all of these beings, then in fact you gain, and it all seems a little odd um, to the Western mind, and a little you know we don't like the notion that we're getting points for what we're doing, and shouldn't we just be doing this in order to wake up, you know, to to see more clearly, and isn't training the mind and the heart really What's important, and if you're getting merit and you know, adding up points, isn't that sort of about having a self? And aren't you kind of caught in time and space? And what about the, the big picture, you know? So, one thing just to mention briefly, it's worth a whole talk on its own, is that in the Buddhist world, there's a teaching about what's called the two truths, and in that teaching, There's an understanding that there is the relative world of time and space and knowing who you are and having an address and all of that and then there's the big picture what Stephen Levine used to call the uh, because there wasn't any name to put on it just the isness of things the vast hugeness of the cosmos the mystery of it where we really there's, about the only thing we can say is that we can't say anything because we don't really understand it and both of those things are true in this teaching mm-hmm. and both of them need each other that there's a way in which in the relative world it's very helpful to have some sense of the absolute and if you get lost in the absolute and you don't know your zip code you are in trouble and so they really need each other And sometimes one, you know, we we work at one in order to, to go more deeply in the other. And working with merit is just one of these places. So merit actually is, I think, very much of the relative world. It's very much a time and space and each of us having a personality and each one of these personalities going through life and doing our best to live in a way that's wise and kind and helpful and to wake up. And and that merit is is about, really about creating a strong base for very, very deep insight. It's creating foundation, really. And so it does come back to the notion that all of our actions have consequences. Everything you do has a consequence. And, and good actions have a kind of a reverberation that goes on for a long time, and bad actions do. And, and so the stress, of course, in, in gaining merit is to do things that are wise and kind and helpful. And the, the, the sense is that it might not immediately have good consequences, but it will ultimately have good consequences. So I was thinking about this today, and I was in my car this afternoon listening to NPR, probably a little bit too much, but nonetheless I was. And I heard this kind of amazing story about a young woman whose name was Hanna Senses. And Hanna Senses lived during the time of the Second World War, and she left her home in Hungary, and she actually became Jewish she chose to be Jewish and she went to live in Palestine and then she became part of a group of young people who parachuted back in in order to try to help to smuggle Jewish people out and as luck would have it or not luck in this case they went back in just as the Nazis took over Hungary so they were actually behind enemy lines and she was captured and um and in a kind there's a film that's coming out that's how I happened to hear about it and um it, while in prison was actually reunited with her mother and it was a very powerful kind of thing but in the end she was executed so you know she did this amazing thing she wrote beautiful poetry she kept a journal that's been published and the and she talked about being called to do this very powerful action which led her to her death so you could say what is this you know she did this good thing and there were bad results and that's true in the immediate you know she was caught in a very difficult time and there were all kinds of Forces You don't unfortunately just get to live out your own karma. There's all the other reverberation of everybody else's actions that we sometimes get caught in. And there's a movie in 2009 about this young woman that's inspiring people. And so there's still good that's coming out of this action. It's kind of interesting to think about it, you know, in a really wonderful way Um, that her... Selfless actions teach and inspire what are we almost 70 years later 60 70 years might go on for quite a while and she's only one of me I mean there's so many stories from that time of people who did very selfless and wonderful things and who died but whose actions inspired and served others. So, this is really kind of what we're looking at, is how do we live in a way where that reverberation begins to build and that um, it, it, all, it serves others, but it also <coughs> serves ourselves. And so I said um, it it's a foundation. The other image that comes in the suttas is um, it's a bit like Cleaning a cloth. So the Buddha um, was talking to uh, a man whose name was Supabuddha the leper, <laughs> and Supabuddha, um, he gave him a talk on generosity, on virtue, and he talked about you know the difficulties of greed and the passions and the rewards of renunciation and practice and. And then at some point when he saw that the man's mind was open and malleable and free from hindrances and elated and bright, it says, he gave the Dhamma talk peculiar to awakened ones. And so he described him the path of the awakening. And and in the Sutta it says, and just as a clean cloth free of stains would properly absorb a dye, in the same way as Supabuddha, the leper, was sitting in that very seat, the dustless, stainless dhamma eye arose within him. So the a sense, is he was prepared. And then when the teaching, the right teaching came along at the right moment, he could see it. So this is is what we're trying to do. And and um, in another place in the suttas, the Buddha gives instructions to his son, Rahula, And and he talks about every time you do an action, you know, if you do a physical action, to really reflect, you know, is this this an action that will be helpful to me and to others? Or is it an action that will be harmful? And if, if you realize that it's helpful, then you keep on doing it. And if you realize that it's harmful, you stop. And the same thing with verbal actions and the same things with mental actions. So that's interesting even to think that Sometimes when you see that your mind is going to a place that is not useful, then the suggestion is, stop it, you know, to the, to the extent that you can, pick it up and move it someplace else and not keep chewing on something that in the end could be destructive. So there are three areas in which are traditional for thinking about merit. The three are the practice of generosity, or dana, and the practice of virtue, or sila, and the practice of meditation, or bhavana. And all of them, they're kind of sequential, they're usually taught in Asia in that order, Um, and each, each one of them, when practiced to its fullest extent, can bring great merit. So it was kind of fun last night. I was talking with the beginners group about the practice of dana. And as I often do, I just looked around, you know. And I said, look, you know, the paint on the walls and the board on the floors and the Buddha on the altar and the altar itself and the clock on the wall, it's all generosity. Everything in here was given to us. And so we are inhabiting this gift. And there is the understanding is that the the givers of all of those things, there's great merit in that giving, that when you give, no matter what you give, no matter how great or how small, there's a kind of a reverberation that begins to happen in the heart and the mind that's very good for you, and it goes on for a long time. And over and over again, in the suttas um, it it talks about the value of generosity and so um, this is a deva speaking actually in the presence of the Buddha it says giving is good dear sir even when there's next to nothing giving is good giving with conviction is good Giving of what's righteously gained is good. Giving with discretion is good. All of these things are good. And and so there's the giving of resources and the giving of time and energy. And then actually what's considered to be the greatest gift of all is the gift of the Dharma itself. I might sneeze. (coughs) Excuse me. And so, and you might think, well, I'm not a teacher, how can I give the Dharma? But, you know, many of you have over the years. You've offered a tape or a book to someone, or you brought them to a class, or said, why don't you try a retreat? And that is the gift of the Dharma. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. And and there's great merit in that one that begins to create a kind of a foundation for your practice. And so that's that's dana or generosity is actually the foundational practice. And then there is the practice of living your life in a way that's careful. So keeping the precepts of not harming and not taking that which isn't offered to you, so not stealing. Um, not harming with your sexuality, not harming with your speech, and not intoxicating body or mind. So, and and one of the descriptions I came across in the sutras is that when you live your life this way, not only do you protect others, but you are protected because when you're living in a way that's harmless, you know, there's less reactivity that's coming toward you. It's kind of an interesting thing to think about, and that when we do this, we are also doing this thing of creating merit of cleansing the cloth if you like that image or of building a foundation if you like that one better and that and you can think i mean um one of my early teachers used to like to say you know just think about it for a minute imagine you never give anything away you're really stingy and mean and then you know you're just not very nice and you kick the dog when you can and And you steal things every now and then, the extra change, the pennies out of the grocery store thing, and you're not so careful with your sexuality, and maybe you're sleeping around a bit or whatever, and and you say mean things as often as you can, (laughs) (laughs) and then you get drunk and drink maybe three or four cans of beer, and then you sit down on the cushion what's going to happen <laughs> it isn't going to be good is it you know it will it will be really unpleasant and you probably won't see very much and cuz you'll be so caught in all of the difficulty from living your life that way so i won't go through the whole list again but if you can imagine the opposite of the generosity of living your life carefully and then you come to set and you don't have so much stuff going on. It's pretty obvious, actually, when you begin to think about it. And that that then creates that foundation where we can do this practice. And it's considered the the meditation practice that brings the most merit, interestingly enough, is not the practice of insight. It's the practice of loving kindness, of really developing that heart that can meet all other beings with kindness and friendliness. So, it seems obvious that then, you know, it's almost like it begins to spiral around again. We do that, we build up some mat. And then that, that heart of generosity wants to share, of course I would want all beings to have the merit of my practice. And so you begin again with the practice of generosity and offering the merit out. It's not an egocentric thing, you know, to think that you've done something. It's actually okay to consider, oh look, I came to a sitting, I came to a retreat, I Sat through this difficult meeting, whatever it was that you've done, that actually is a good thing and you can honor it. And it's so interesting because we don't do that very easily, do we? You know, I'm thinking about, I, you know, I teach retreats fairly often, Spirit Rock, other places, and often at the end of retreats, you know, you fill out an evaluation form, some of you have filled them out, you know. So there's a retreat, there's 50 or 100 people at the retreat and maybe half of them fill out the evaluation form, and once in a while, there's an evaluation form that says, that Mary Grace, you know, why is she teaching? Or her (laughs) Dharma talks, forget them, or whatever, you know. Now, it might be that there are 57 forms, and one says that, and all the others say, wow, the teachers were great, and several of them say, I really liked Mary Grace, Which ones do I remember? (laughs) Right? You know, because we all do that. We all do that. We remember the difficult one that just is, tells us how bad we are. And there's actually a wonderful Native American practice that says, you know, it's actually a practice to tell the good stories, to remember the goodness that you have done, to remember the gifts that you have made, to remember the care with which you have lived your life, and to remember that you've put time and energy into your practice. That's really good. It's okay, you could try it, to remember that. And then out of that remembering, in a sense, you're taking in some of the merit of your practice and then offering it then out again. So what we've done here tonight, what you did here tonight by coming is a really good thing. You gathered some merit, you added to your foundation, you scrubbed your cloth a little bit more, and it's helpful. And then, most importantly, you know, it becomes the foundation for seeing deeply into the nature of things. So that really takes us full circle, doesn't it, to what we talked about at the very beginning of the sitting. because it's that seeing deeply that allows us to see where the place of freedom is in any particular moment, and where the place in any particular moment is, that is about the ending of suffering. So maybe it seems a little overwhelming, so I wanted to read you this last passage from the suttas because it reminds me that um, it happens gradually. It says, don't be heedless of merit. It won't come to me. A water jar fills, even with water falling in drops, with merit, even if bit by bit, habitually, the enlightened one fills herself full. So drop by drop. So that's enough for me. Maybe questions, comments, thoughts. Please, Brenda. Yeah, uh-huh. it's interesting thing to bring this up because this one has been touched on many times. Like you'll sometimes when you sit, you're sitting not just for yourself, and you'll or the earth. It's like. How can I be getting married when most of my meditation is in sitting? <laughs> Did you run screaming out of the hall? No. Cool. Really? It's yeah, that it's that simple. <laughs> I mean, think of it. Sometimes that's the best thing that can be said about a sitting. Trust me, I know. I have it. <laughs> And that, and I used to think that those sittings weren't worth much. Mm-hmm. But then, as time has gone on, I've come to understand that the steadfastness of staying, even when the mind is crazed and you think it's worthless, is actually worth something. Because it creates a kind of steadiness and it begins to build equanimity. So, there's definitely merit to that. And,. It's really hard Um, at a sitting, at the end of a day. You're tired, right? I mean, probably probably, most of us, I would guess 99% of us here tonight are tired. So, you know, you're tired. And you've had a busy day, and you're in the middle of a busy life, and the economy's falling apart, and you probably listen to NPR too much, too, like me. Right? So the mind just... In your everyday life, this is another Jack Cornfield saying, you put your butt on the cushion and you take what you get. And sometimes it's a crazed mind. Sometimes it's not. And in the context of retreat practice, where you have time to kind of step back and get some distance from all that stuff that's going on and things quiet down, as I think you know, then it can get quieter. And there are at least some sittings with a somewhat quieter mind. Yeah? It's a couple of blocks. But it's, it's the couple of drops and it's the intention. A lot of it's the intention. Mm-hmm. You set aside an hour and a half to be here tonight. Yeah, it's a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I think that if I'm sitting, at least I'm not doing any damage. Yes! <laughs> 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 yeah! Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we've all been utterly harmless in here. That's a good
1: one.
0: you haven't been inside my mind lately. I can damage my Be careful. Yeah, I mean, it is true. There's some restraint that you can exercise with the mind. So that, in a sense, brings us back to Rina's question. You know that if you discover that the mind is going towards really unskillful places, it's really useful to begin to go. Oh, wait a minute! I it's not helpful to put my mind there. And even, I mean, you may not be able to have a quiet mind. But then, you know, it might be skillful to really intentionally think about some story about the Buddha or take it someplace where it can. You've got enough structure for it to stay. That's a more skillful place. That's that's a useful thing. So. Please, Mike. Hey, I, on the difficult sittings, I actually started. I can't say I look forward to them, but um, I'm very thankful for them uh-huh. because I say, "Oh boy, this is this is a good one. This is really good stuff coming. Hard work is coming my way, uh-huh. and it." It, it's wonderful <laughs> because then it, it makes it makes the good the good things that that much sweeter. That uh-huh. much, I, I don't know. It, it just, yeah, it, that's it wise. There's balance I mean. in there somehow, right? Um, but right. I stop try, fighting them and, and just you know accept. And so maybe it's an, they're not so bad, <laughs> right? But they're still difficult. Yeah, difficult. Yeah. Yes, and and sometimes it's that place. It's like in a relationship sometimes when difficult stuff comes up and at first you think, oh dear, this is terrible, bad news. But it may actually be really useful and then the two of you work on it and work on it and Mm -hmm. tease it out and examine and, and figure out what happened and why it happened and do what you need to do. And then there's healing sometimes that comes. But it doesn't come without the other. Yeah, exactly. One is I find it kind of hard to believe that you would get a bad <laughs> review. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yeah. But I do once in a while. Yeah. And um, you mentioned you read something at the very end about the ability to find freedom in any moment. I said that, yeah. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> I'm if you could say a little bit more about that. It, it sounded, it kind of went aha, and I wanted to think about it more, mm-hmm. but also, well, I, my understanding well, is that in any, in any situation, there is a place where you can stand, so to speak, where it's free. No greed, no hatred, no delusion, no harming, no suffering. The trick is to find it, of course. But it's there, or and it's there. It's always there. There's no place where you can be where there is no possibility of freedom. So, I think what happens is that for many people, there are moments of what you could call Nibbana, that would be the, the Pali term for it, of Nirvana, of waking up. And some people, probably many people in this room have had such a time when, and at least, at the very least, if there's no greed, no hatred, no delusion that's a definition that I rather like because it's simple, there's at least less greed, less hatred and less delusion and you think, oh good you know, I'm making a little progress here and maybe it only lasts that long and you don't have another one for another five years but the notion is that you begin to string them together closer and closer and it's very helpful I think to, in, a, in any situation to think well how how could I be in this situation so that there's less suffering or no suffering? And it's very difficult. It's difficult to remember and we certainly, you know, get caught in our personality stuff that often isn't very interested in that. Yeah. Yeah, chew on it. Maybe that's a good place to stop. Unless anybody's burning. Could you just repeat the three things that you said The the last third point was meditation, but it was like the three keys ah, to... So exercise. the three things for, for gaining merit are generosity and virtue, so living your life in a non-harming way, and meditation. And those are the three main practices in Buddhist practice. And in Asia, they're usually taught in that order. And one of the interesting things that's happened here in the West is meditation came in in a big way and then we've kind of had to back up and go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> we need a little underpinnings for our meditation practice, yeah. yeah. Okay, so a few announcements and then we'll end. Um, and there's cookies and tea tonight, so. Um, Saturday, we're having a day long um, from 9.30 to 5.00 um, with two nuns from the Amravati community, Ajahn Anandabodhi and Ajahn Santichitta. So these are Westerners, so these are not Asian nuns. They speak English, as the English do. And um, they're actually from a group of nuns from Amravati who are thinking about settling here in California. And I believe this project is going pretty well, although I don't know what the current state of it is, but I'm sure we'll hear on Saturday. And they are lively and fun and interesting and please don't be put off by the notion, oh my goodness, nuns, I don't know how to behave around them. They're very <laughs> easy and friendly. And you know what's wonderful in the monastic world, I, I like to re- tell people this, if you don't know what to do, like, can I touch you or how should I offer you your food or how should I speak to you? You can ask. And they love it that you ask, and then they give you the answer, and then you know what to do. So we are asking that people, instead of just bringing your own lunch, bring food to share, and then we'll be offering some of the food to them for their meal. So there's flyers over on the table for that. And then two other things coming up soon. Um, A week from tomorrow, on the 13th, Carla Brennan has a class that's starting uh, at 9:30 in the morning, 9:15 in the morning. So if you have space on Fridays for a class called "Embodying Your Realization," and then that evening on the 13th at seven, Carolyn Atkinson, who's a Zen teacher in town, who also actually was one of our first board chairs here at Vipassana Santa Cruz, so she's got lots of Vipassana experience. Um, I think was she the first? Was she the first chair or the second? I don't remember. But she's either the first or the second. And she's part of our Buddhist teachers in Santa Cruz series. So, And they've been quite interesting. So pick up a flyer for that. And then just to mention that that we now do have a sitting every Wednesday evening at 6.30. It's geared for beginners. So the sittings are short. There's more guidance. There's time for questions and answers. It's different from tonight. But if you want to sit, please come and if you know people who are looking for a beginner's class um, invite them to come and if you have a place to stick up a flyer pick one up over there on the table and put it up in your yoga studio or wherever we had somebody last night who came because they saw it at Total Fitness so there you have it you know okay any other announcements please is a Saturday truly uh, for all day, or is it a half-day disruptive? Or? It is all day, and there are no Dharma police. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I, if you can be skillful around it, I think it would be fine to come and leave when you need to. It's kind of an interesting thought, you know, if we barred the door and said you can't go home. Okay, so sit quite comfortably. And take a breath. And let's come back to the phrase that we started the sit with. Extending some friendliness into your own being. Thank you for listening.